This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom, and my partner in crime, Monique Dusan, the one and only co-founder of the Center for Biblical Unity, cannot join us today, uh, but nevertheless, the show must go on, and I am excited to talk to you about our Rewind show this week. But before I get to that, I want to make sure to uh, invite you to like this stream and share this stream, comment. Liking and commenting is easy, and that helps kind of get the bots going and push out the content to those. By liking, it's totally free. You can just make sure to get more of the content that you like. If you subscribe and hit that notification bell, you'll know every time we go live or upload new content. And this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, the Theology Mom podcast, and Family 210 Clothing. Here's one of my favorite designs. I always love this one. Don't forget Christmas is coming. I've got a couple of designs on the computer, I need to get them over to Bob so we can get them in the, in the shop for the holidays. But go check out Family 210 Clothing to get your, uh, your merch. Now, uh, we went back in the archives again. We're continuing our series, our All the Things Rewind series, going back in the archives to find some of those hidden gems that we did early on in the show's history that we love, but we feel like far too few people have actually gotten to interact with the content. So tonight we're looking at show 52. This was a show that we did actually very early on in the pandemic before most of you found the ministry. And uh, it was a show that we did right at the start as the pandemic was starting and and the shutdown was going. We started to see a lot more concerns about homelessness. And uh, at that time, Monique was still working at for full time at the food pantry as a director of the food pantry. So we put her expertise, we paired it together with our friend Brian Crane, who's the chief operating officer at the Orange County Rescue Missions. He did a wonderful conversation with us about the gospel mission ministry and some of the distinctives of that way of helping the homeless. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Only 32 people have watched this on YouTube, so I know it's going to be new content for most of you, but it's a great interview. And with that, let's now hear from our friend Brian Crane. All right. So our friend Brian Crane uh, is joining us. He is the COO at the Orange County Rescue Mission and also the husband of the world famous Natasha Crane. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Natasha was on not too long ago. Yeah. So we're glad to have you here. And I get to see Brian every month. Um, I've mentioned on the show that I uh, before that I um, help you guys out there with some conversations on theology and apologetics with the students there at, at the mission. So glad to, to have you here. Um, maybe you can talk to us a little bit, Brian, about what the Orange County Rescue Mission does and what your unique uh, contribution is to, the, to that effort there. Sure. So the Orange County Rescue Mission op- operates a number of transitional housing for homeless men, women, and children throughout the Orange County and really Southern California area. Our flagship campus is called the Village of Hope, and that's in Tustin, California. And that can house up to 262 men, women, and kids. And when people come into the Village of Hope, they're really making a commitment to go through a program that's going to help them get back on their feet 
and address all the issues that led to being homeless or near homeless to begin with. So when people come in, they uh, are immediately given a volunteer job assignment on campus. They could be working in our warehouse, they could be working in the janitorial crew, in the kitchen. And during the course of their time, they will have, a, a, there's a big discipleship component. There is also life skills classes where we cover things like anger management. There's a lot of sobriety focused material for groups and also one-on-one -on -one, uh, opportunities with their case managers. And by the end of 18 to 24 months, our goal is that everyone who goes all the way through the program will number one, uh, have accepted Jesus as their savior. Number two, will have a full-time job. Number three, will be moving into their own place that they can afford with their full-time job. And number four, will not be relying on any kind of government assistance. So that's the overall aim of the program. And um, we have a few campuses that, that reach specific groups, like we operate a ranch that is just for men, we operate a program just for military veterans, and we operate sort of a next step program for single women and their kids. So um, that, that basically covers it. Uh, um, and as you mentioned earlier, Krista helps out tremendously with the apologetic side of some of the things that we do there too. That's a really good group. Now, I heard you mention all of your programs. I thought you guys had an emergency placement too. This sounds like it's all transitional housing. We, emergency we do being actually. 30 to 90 day housing. Yes, we operate for our host city, Tustin. We operate an emergency shelter. And that is actually set up as a, a separate 501c3 because it is a contract with a government entity. So that is a tradition, more of a traditional, when people think of a homeless shelter, uh, that is more like that, where people can come in at all hours, they can stay for as long as they need. Our goal is to transition them to whatever the next step is for them. But there's no discipleship component because it is a government contract and it is set up separately. Now, when people come here, I want people to have kind of a picture of what it's like at Village of Hope, because it's sort of like, almost like an apartment complex, yeah. but there's a, a medical center there. There's a, there's like a cafe, there's a chapel, there's classrooms. There's, it's just a, a really um, beautiful place. Um, it, it's, it's such a first class operation that they, that they run there at the Orange County Rescue Mission. And maybe Brian, you could talk to us a little bit about your approach to client care, like uh, you were telling us right before we went on the air, you know, that everybody gets to complete their high school diploma. You know, what other kinds of services do you provide and how do you shepherd them through the program? Sure. Yeah. So our, I should have said up front, our, our mission is to minister the love of Jesus Christ to the least, the last and the lost of our community. And it goes on to say that we do that through the provision of things like counseling, education, job training, food, clothing, shelter, health, independent living communities. But the idea there is that food, clothing, shelter is a given. And then we do the deeper dive on the things where people need to really address the issues of uh, what got them to be homeless in the first place. So yes, we do have a health clinic on campus. We have a legal clinic that is staffed by a local law school. The students there do a uh, semester where they engage our students and help them with some of their issues, their legal issues that need to be cleared up. We, uh, uh, in, in order to graduate from the program, you do have to have a high school diploma. So I'd say probably about 25% uh, of our adult students who come into the program do not have a high school diploma. So there's two approaches on that, depending on how many credits they're lacking. They may do a, a, a certificate program if it's going to take a while, to, if they have too many credits basically that they need to do, or they'll go to the local adult school through the school district, um, but it's all done on our campus. So we do make sure that people come out with at least a high school diploma. Other students, as they're going through the program, they may find something that uh, a field of study that they might want to be able to pursue while they're there. We, have, we do have some who pursue 
um, medical assistant certificates. We have uh, those who go to a local culinary school that we have a relationship with. So when people find an interest, as long as they can complete that certificate while they're in our program, we give them the opportunity to go and do that. And that, of course, helps them to be able to uh, earn a higher wage when they get out of the program. I love the holistic approach to it, that you're, you're seeming to catch all the, the pieces. And then when they graduate, do they um, get like wraparound service through you guys? Um, sorry, I'll go into the technical terms, but not wraparound. Explain wraparound service for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we do have a, a, a an alumni program, as we call it. So we actually can continue to minister to our students after they graduate from the program. There's a, there are uh, two monthly things that they can come to, and they, there's kind of an ongoing education component uh, that focuses some around sobriety, other around uh, safe relationships, and uh, there's one specifically for married couples, for example. So that's sort of the ongoing piece that that really our students can can participate in for as long as they want after they graduate from the program. And then we operate a few uh, campuses that are specifically for that sort of next step. One, we have an uh, apartment complex where it's a uh, reduced reduced uh, program fee as they continue on for the first one or two years. So it's an opportunity for them to kind of put their toe in the water and be completely self-sufficient, but at a reduced rent as they continue to uh, maybe progress in their new career. And then we have a, a facility in Old Town Orange. It's a, it, it looks like a, a big manor house. It's a, it's a beautiful facility. And what it is, it's, a, it's 20 rooms with attached bathrooms and a communal kitchen. And that's for single women and their kids. And so they pay a reduced fee for the first two years. They can stay there after they come out of our program. So realistically, you could come in off the streets if you were a single mom, spend 18 to 24 months at the Village of Hope, and really make a step forward and begin your life anew, and then move into the House of Hope where you're now paying a program fee every month, you're responsible for preparing your own food, and it's kind of the next step. You could almost spend four years in one of our programs or campuses uh, before you move on. So there is a, a real emphasis on making sure that we don't throw people out there too soon. We understand that transformation takes time. We understand that sobriety takes time. And that sometimes when people are getting sober for the first time in a long time, they just need to be safe for a while. They need to be in an environment where, where the temptations of the world aren't going to be able to get to them as easily. And so being a privately funded organization where there's no real need to turn over people quickly, uh, we understand that things take time and we're able to minister to people at a level that, uh, that they need. I love that. And that was that's the perfect example of a wraparound service. You kind of wrap around the client and walk with them so that as they transition from the transitional housing or from that shelter back into society, when they hit those bumps and, and bruises along the way, they're sheltered so it isn't as painful. You know, they can learn the lesson without completely um, just falling apart and falling back to that beginning space. I think right. what I... What I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you, Brian, is how all of these things are predicated on really the idea that homelessness isn't um, probably their main problem. Homelessness is sort of a result of other problems that they're experiencing. And you guys are really trying to help people. Your solution isn't, well, let's just give them a home. Hmm. Your solution is, let's look at your life and see how we can simultaneously improve your situation by helping you improve yourself, but also dealing with the root causes that got you to homelessness in the first place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I will go so far as to say that homelessness is never, ever the root issue. Uh, it's always downstream of something else, whether it be mental illness, uh, drug abuse, broken families, Human trafficking is a big one these days. 
it's always downstream of that. And so acknowledging that is the first step in truly helping people and truly ministering to them the way that Jesus calls us to minister to people. That you're right, Krista, to just give someone the keys to a house and say, problem solved. Well, it may, may temporarily get them off the streets. It does not get to the root. And more than likely, they're going to be back out on the streets in another year or two anyway, if you don't get to the root. So not only is it not the kindest and most compassionate thing to do, it's also probably not the smartest thing to do. That if you're going to try to to address the problem, address it at its root and not just the symptom. And that that's for me is what's so important because I see so many efforts to help homelessness that to me only address kind of the cosmetic issue of, of the home mm-hmm. and it doesn't yeah. get to the, the root of it and really helping to reposition people. That's why I'm so uh, such a believer in what Brian and his team are doing there because they, they, like he says, transition takes time, transformation takes time, and we have to give people that time. I'm wondering, Brian, what have you seen has changed since the rise of the virus and all this quarantining business? I know I want to have Monique share some things she's noticed in, in her field dealing with food pantries, but let's start with you. What, have, what changes are you noticing happening? Well, it's interesting that... Uh... The rate of people coming into the transitional program has really not changed at all. If anything, it's gotten, it's increased in the last few weeks. I think um, we anticipated that it might slow down because we're wary of of anything. Um, And what we found, at least with transitional programs, is that it looks as if some people are seeing this as as a time of, maybe realizing that their situation is not the best. Maybe they're realizing that you do not want to be in the streets when you get sick. And so there has been, uh, in terms of those people who are truly looking to change, we, we have seen more people coming in. Now, we mentioned the emergency shelter earlier. We had a lull on the emergency shelter. There was a, there was a time right about when everything shut down where we didn't really have anybody coming in for, for a few days. Part of that I attribute to the fact that the police department was kind of having an all hands on deck ready for COVID calls that uh, they weren't doing the traditional outreach that they do for that program. But I would say in the last week, we started to see people coming in there Mm -hmm. too. And so now it's really, we're seeing people across the board who are, who now that we're a few weeks into the quarantine, I think are saying, you know what, I'm going to use this opportunity to make a change. And so we, our doors have been open. Uh, we, I, I know that there are some organizations who kind of shut everything down, but we felt that we're not in a position to do that. If we're going to minister to the least, the last, and the lost, well, you leave the light on and you leave the doors open when there's a, a, a health crisis like this. So um, we've, we've taken all the necessary precautions. We have protocols in place for isolating people if we need to, uh, but so far, uh, Praise God, we haven't had any positive cases on any of our campuses, but uh, we are prepared. So Monique, what are you noticing at your position? You are a director at a food pantry, three food pantries actually, that are connected. What have you guys noticed in terms of service? There's been a huge increase. Um, We would serve like on a regular basis, I'd say 250 to 300 families a week. Right now we're at 600 families, 620 a week. And it's, I mean, it's due to the layoffs, it's due to furloughs and, you know, all of that in addition to people just experiencing food insecurity anyway. And so, yeah, I, for us, it's been a big upswing where we are at the LA Regional Food Bank and, you know, trying to procure donations from private citizens and things like that. But our donor base, I feel like we've we've stayed stable. We've had a few people who have said, you know, I won't be able to continue donating right now, but we've been able to stay, you know, pretty stable with our private donations. I think donations from... Um, now you're talking about supplies. No, like, supply. I'm, I was talking food. about like from private citizens, like okay. private donors. Okay. But things like 
grocery stores and um, vendors who used to give to us have had to cut back oh. because the supply is so heavy from consumers. Okay. So another thing that's been kind of hard for you is a lot of your volunteers are in the vulnerable population. They are, yes. They're, so we have... A lot of senior citizens mm-hmm. are the people that staff your food pantries week in and week out. Yeah, we're all volunteer run. And... Um, our volunteer base is from the older population, more elderly. And so we lost a bunch of people just like overnight. It was like, oh my gosh, I can't go outside. And, but the, I feel like the private community where we are has really stepped up. That's and awesome. so I've seen, you know, the the sadness of losing a lot of volunteers, but the beauty of the community coming together and saying, hey, you know, we've been laid off. We have time to give. That's great. And so- uh, you you've implemented instead of them coming in the building, we have a drive through drive through service. Mm-hmm. So at all three of our locations, if people need food, they can they'll drive right up, and with social distancing or physical distancing, we'll be served and serviced. We'll get their information, and they'll just continue almost like McDonald's window one, window two, <laughs> you know, and they get their food, the food that's needed, and yeah. they go from there. But the amount of people, you know, it. So a lot of people getting laid off and needing food and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are furloughed. Um, they're not sure if they're going to be going back. There's a mm-hmm. lot of, lot of insecurity there. But like um, Brian's organization being privately funded, and we'll talk about that later. Cause I, I think that um, being privately funded gives you more room to do the things that are needed. So you were saying, you know, being able to have that transitional period and understanding that transition doesn't just occur overnight and how s- some organizations will keep you. And then it almost seems like they drop you. Like what is the difference between a government organization, an organization that is receiving government funds that is mandated to say, well, I have two years, you have two years to get your stuff together. And from there, I have to kind of legally turn you over because I'm holding a grant that says I have to get you out versus an organization that is only receiving private funds that is connected to church organizations and things like that. And receiving that funding that can say, Hey, you know what? We have you for two years. And for two years after that, we're going to still hold on to you and walk with you through the process. Yeah. Brian, why don't you talk us, talk us through how that, how that works and what some of those pros and cons are in terms of how uh, missions like yours get funded. Yeah. Well, most gospel rescue missions uh, for the most part, are privately funded. And the big reason is because they don't want the government telling them how to run their program. They don't want to get into a situation where it's like, okay, here, here's a, a big percentage of your annual budget. And by the way, let's make sure that we have a, a track through your program where you never talk about the gospel, which can very easily happen. And, and so our approach has always been that we are uh, privately funded entirely for the, the transitional portion of our program. We, all, we also operate a, a health clinic on campus, and that's a separate 501c. You can't operate a, a health clinic uh, in a low-income area without uh, taking government money. But the approach is, I mean, on, on the one hand, people might say, wow, that's crazy. How do you do that with just private donations? But on the other hand, if you're one of the few games in town that's offering a gospel-centered program to those who are, are seeking to get off the streets, well, that's attractive to people. That's, and in fact, uh, most of our donors are just small families giving, giving a few dollars every month. It's not like we're, uh, we have some major, major donor who's funding 40% of our budget every year. So uh, I think there's, we, we have, literally thousands of people giving a small amount because it's something that they believe in. And so that's, that's a positive side of it. I mean, the, the, the conflict that we often run into is that we're not really kind of tracking with the other agencies who are primarily set up to offer someone some sort of housing situation. If you, if you work in the land of homeless services and you are not a gospel rescue mission, for the most part, you hear the term housing, housing, housing over and over again. Um, housing first. Permanent I was going to say housing. housing first mentality. We have to have a housing first mentality. Rapid rehousing. 
<laughs> yep. Yep. And so, you know, we talked about that earlier. That's, that's great insofar as it goes, but if you're approaching this with a lens towards really ministering to the whole person, then housing first, rapid rehousing. I'm not, I will not say that there's not a place for those. I think that, that the notion sometimes of someone who is for the most part self-sufficient and they hit a rough patch and all they really need is uh, quickly get into a, a, a new apartment while they turn their situation around. There is a, there is a time and place for that. I, so I'm not one to sit here and, and poo-poo all of that. But for the most part, if your entire approach to every homeless situation is to offer someone um, a housing situation, well, it, it kind of becomes a, a, like the dog chasing its tail. You can only do that so often and, and at, also at the risk of attracting more people into your municipality who see that. And it just kind of sort of exponentially grows. I agree. Uh, the um, the rapid rehousing, the housing first, it's the, what people don't normally understand is that the contract kind of guides the services that you can provide. And when when the contract is the guide, biblically, you can't do a lot of things. And so there's there's different barriers in place. And so then you can't be guided by Christ or by his word and um, the ability to also care for someone's soul. So when you, we think about who we're going to support, I mean, cause I know that many Christians want to help the homeless. Like we, we understand that helping the poor is a, is a biblical idea. It's something we should do as Christians, but I think we struggle oftentimes in what is the best way to do that. And Monique and I had conversations on past shows about um, enablement versus empowerment. empowerment. Mm-hmm. And that, that is an important distinction because we believe the gospel isn't just a great idea, that it has transforming ideas. It changes people, but that kind of downside of getting government money, you know, can limit how we go about that ministry. And I, I really want to hear both of you speak on this issue because Christians want to help the poor. I think their heart's in the right place, but we don't always know the best way to do that. And I think the unique contribution of the gospel missions is important for people to be aware of. You can go first, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people, Krista, people often ask me a little more specifically, just let's be frank. Should I give the guy on the side of the road uh, $5 that I see every day? That I, people ask me that a lot. And, you know, the, the, the answer that people often spout is, well, that person is going to go spend this $5 on drugs and alcohol. And let's face it, you don't know. He may or may not. But one thing that I think that we can do as believers is be prepared to offer more than money. And what that can mean is, at the very least, you should know what the services are in your community that minister to people in a whole way. If you have a gospel rescue mission in your community, then uh, it's worth checking them out. It's worth getting to know them. It's worth maybe getting your church involved with them. Uh, If not, you may, at the very least, know of programs. That should be something that you do uh, as your homework in advance so that when you do encounter someone, you know, there's nothing stopping you from trying to have a relationship with someone. Maybe you, you walk past this person every day on the way into your building back when, or in, when you're starting to walk into your building again and are not socially distancing, but say that you encounter the same person every day, you know, instead of dropping a few coins in the, in the cup, you could stop, talk to them, get to know their name, address them by their name when you walk by and in time, maybe offer them uh, a a solution, maybe talk to them about programs that you know that they could get into. So that's a way of, of engaging people. It requires a little bit more work. It requires a little bit more homework, but at least you won't feel like you're tossing your money away. And, and at the same time, I would say that most people that are out there that you encounter, they don't, encounter someone in a personal way. You you may be the only person, for example, that addresses them by their name in a given day. And so building that sort of trust with someone 
discipline will make them more receptive to what you may have to offer them later on. But what I love about that is that what the underlying assumption of all of those ideas, Brian, is that we're treating people with dignity because they're created in the image of God. And when we call people by name and we take the time to say hello, to treat them like a fellow human person and to, to, to find out their name and to think in advance of what are some options that are available in our community for you. We are truly loving them as our neighbor because we are honoring them and their dignity because they're created in the image of God. We don't just give them now solutions, you know, in the short term, because that doesn't always help to honor them. I don't know what your thoughts are. I would agree. But I think that there are times when, you know, we do give in the now situation. You know, if it's the summertime and the guy is homeless and I know I have a bottle of water, I'm going to give him a bottle of water. That's a now situation. Um, But having the information is important because then it becomes a choice. It becomes a, an empowered situation. Um, I always say, you know, if the Lord tells you, yeah. you know, that you need to give someone that money, then you go ahead. I would coming from the standpoint of now having, um, run like a for profit, not for profit, but a, a organization that receives government funds and now working with an organization that receives no government funds. I'm like, wow, you know, if you, if you're giving this guy like $10, Every other week, how about you give that $20 here and support the organization that he could go to and receive even more service? I think that's where I'm at. Aside from that, I pretty much say kudos to everything that yeah. Brian said. I, I My husband is one of my heroes. And one of the things that he's done on a few occasions where the Lord has prompted him is he'll actually just go up and start talking to homeless people He'll sit with them and buy them a lunch and talk to them, pray with them. Uh, one one time I remember he he met a guy at the gas station. The guy came up to ask him for money and the Holy Spirit started talking to him. And he took the guy inside, bought him a sandwich, talked to him. Next thing he knows, the, the, the homeless guy was giving him a prophetic word <laughs> to my husband. And the Lord was speaking to the homeless guy and giving Bob some encouragement. So you just never know who it is that you're talking to and, you know, listening to the Lord because we're Christians, that, that is a thing. Like sometimes the Lord just tells us to do stuff. And Bob came home that day and he says, I just, I have to tell you something. I, I gave a homeless guy, you know, this much money today. And he says, just cause the Lord told me to. And I'm like, you got to do what you got to do to obey the Lord. Yeah. So yeah. One of the things that I do want to mention, um, I know that we are talking about homelessness and all of that, but in the same vein, remembering that in this time, there are also people who may not be homeless, but could actually be on the verge of it. And you would never know. Or they're they're suffering with like, they're right on the margins of not having quite enough food or struggling. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. Do you know where a food pantry is in your neighborhood? Um, Do you know how someone can, you know, get in contact with the right organization to be able to assist with their food or their medical stuff? And, you know, it's more than just the guy that we see on the side of the road in this time, it is everyone, yeah. you know, it, how there's a good percentage of people that are what two two paychecks, two paychecks away from being homeless. Well, here we are in this time, this emergency moment where people need to gear all of their money toward their bills. And a lot of times that leaves out things like food. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Brian? No, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. In fact, uh, we one of the things that we do is we pick up food from uh, about 12 grocery stores days a week. And we use what we can in our programs, and then we distribute it to some local food pantries. And yeah, we we have seen such an uptick on that. And I I agree. I think on the other side of this, you, you're already seeing it. You're already seeing families who would have never thought that they were going to be in line for the drive-through uh, never, food bank. Never, that, that you know now they're they're coming every week and. You know, praise God. I know down in Orange County, there there have been some really big events. And so far, that's that's all been manageable. But I would I would agree that as this progresses, 
not only will there be food insecurity, there's going to be a lot of drug and addiction issues on the other side of this. So a lot of the things that maybe we touch on at the rescue mission for people that have really hit rock bottom are going to become issues for people that, that would never find themselves in that position, hunger, sobriety issues, abuse. And so as Christians looking to be able to help people, well, you know, maybe now's the time you start finding the organizations that you can team up with to help minister to people and to help help people get back on their feet. Maybe your church can partner with the local food bank, whatever it is. Now's the time to be thinking about it because uh, there's a tidal wave of need coming very quickly here. We're going to go back to our interview with Brian Crane in just one minute. But right now, I want you to hear from our friends at Impact 360. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we will face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling in authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. Once again, if you have a student ages 18 to 20 who really desires to have a deeper relationship with God, build community with other Christian peers their age, encourage them to go take a look at the Impact 360 Fellows Program. It's a gap year program and students do a deep dive into the Christian worldview, but they also get to participate in short-term mission projects and develop daily rhythms of like how to have a quiet time and how to pray and all of those things, spiritual formation ideas. If they decide to apply, just have them use the promo code apply and the application fee will be waived. Okay. With that, let's go back and hear the rest of our interview with Brian Crane. And talk to us about um, the what gospel missions do oftentimes in terms of presenting the gospel and, and what you guys are doing at the Orange County Rescue Mission to even offer apologetics <laughs> as part of your program, because that's such a unique feature. Yeah, well, at, at the various missions do it different ways. I can speak for our program. Uh, when, when students come into the program, they're making certain commitments that, that a discipleship component is something that they're going to explore. So what that means is we ask them to go to church every Sunday at a minimum. Uh, there is a church that meets in our, on our campus, um, and they are welcome to go to that, but they don't have to. Maybe they already have a relationship. We just ask that they be going to a Bible-believing church, and if they do go off campus, we ask them to bring back their, uh, their notes on the, on the message. So there's a little bit of accountability there. Um, and then there's a chapel service once a week. There's, we have everybody go through a discipleship uh, book series, and they meet every week uh, for a one-on-one -on -one with their case manager and discuss their progress through that. There are various Bible studies on campus that churches lead. And you know, a few years ago, we realized that there's a certain percentage of our students who are kind of sitting on the sidelines about 30 to 60 days in. It's interesting. They're maybe hearing about the gospel and the Bible and God for the first time, but they're not all in. And 
really, they have questions. They have honest questions that people should be asking when they're exploring a new worldview. And so we started a apologetics program where we invited local speakers to present on a topic once a month. And we're just, you know, we're very well situated in Southern California. We have so many uh, wonderful teachers, including Krista, who have come and spoken there. And then uh, once a month, too, there's a discussion group where they kind of unpack what was discussed. So we've had uh, Greg Kokel, Jay Warner Wallace, Sean McDowell, uh, Bobby Conway, Craig Hazen, Natasha Crane. She's amazing. Uh, and they come and do their thing and they talk about maybe the issue that's that they're uh, very comfortable uh, in. And our our student, it's been such a tremendous blessing to students because you kind of clear away, and Krista, you could speak about this better than I can, you clear away some of those, those low-lying objections and really get to the heart at what maybe people are wrestling with as they're coming to faith. Yeah, I get the honor of leading the discussion group once a, once a month, and I love it. I, I love all the students. Um, they just have such great questions, and I've been very blessed by how they are genuinely wrestling with the faith and they're wanting to know, like, what does Christianity have to say about the, the things that I have been through. And some last uh, month, there were two gals in the group who disclosed that they had just come out of human trafficking situations. And one of them I felt like was about three seconds away from, uh, coming to faith in Christ because she just was so close. She was asking amazing questions. And I'm like, wow, this, if this girl ever really finds the Lord or meets the Lord in a, she could end up being a preacher. Like she was just, she was asking all the right questions and had, had just come out of a, a human trafficking situation. But I think that what, one of the things I've learned about being there is um, it's, truly for me, a manifestation of, of believing that all humans are created in the image of God. And part of that means honoring their, their mind, that they have dignity of a mind that God has given them. And we don't want to just meet their physical needs. We want to um, meet their spiritual needs and their intellectual needs. And many people in this community have intellectual needs and, um, Every month, their, their favorite topics are um, evil. <laughs> we have lots of conversations about evil. We have lots of conversations about the supernatural, about the demonic realm, because I think that many of them have had supernatural experiences. Many of them have been on drugs and drugs sometimes opens ourselves up to the demonic realm. And you don't have to convince them at all that, that demons are real. They just want to know how to make sense of it. And so for them, part of the apologetics enterprise is how do I make sense of other religions? How do I make sense of other religious experiences? Those are all big themes that just seem to recur over and over again. But I just stand up there for an hour and play stump the scholar while they try to uh, ask me all their questions about different things. And Monique gets to eavesdrop many months. Sometimes Bob comes down I'm with me. I'm the driver. So... <laughs> But, we pick her up from work and then we drive on down. Yeah. And I take a yeah. nap in the car. She does. And then we, then I she come. buys me Sonic on the way home. <laughs> so, but it's good. It, it's yeah. a wonderful ministry. And I just want to, you know, if any other uh, gospel mission people out there um, see this and are intrigued by this type of ministry, I want to encourage you get some apologetics for your, for your residents and incorporate that into your program. I know, literally hundreds of apologists all over the country. We could probably get you hooked up with someone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but it's, yeah, it's a so wonderful, wonderful so thing. Well you're doing. Put, Krista. That's so well put. And, uh, and we're certainly blessed that you come and have those discussions with people every month, but I would agree, you know, apologetic sometimes gets a bad rap uh, in the church at least. And, uh, but it's, it's so obviously needed and it, and maybe, you know, when we first started doing the apologetics program, uh, I had people say, so you're doing apologetics at the homeless shelter. It's like, well, yeah, we are because people have questions. And if there are any barriers to faith that, that can be honestly addressed and answered, why wouldn't we be doing that? So 
good, good call out to anybody else. And if I would agree that if there are other rescue missions, it, it we, we have a bit of a prototype to, and it's just a matter of teaming up with people in your community. And there are yeah. always people in the community who have the, uh, the ability and the calling to do it. And, um, I would highly encourage people to do yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I want to go to a couple of comments here. Um, our friend Lisa or Liza maybe um, says food insecurity is real in our current world. New people in our own church family are experiencing food insecurity, which equals new ways for the body to minister to each other. Yes. And amen to that. And many churches have food pantries. And if you're looking for a way to serve the poor in a really practical way, see what you can do to, to help local food pantries, especially ones that come through churches are often on the smaller end of the scale. Find a gospel rescue mission in your area. Um, Brian, is there like a hub where people can go to find a gospel mission in, in their area? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. There's a, there is an association of gospel rescue missions. It's called City Gate Network. So their, their website is citygatenetwork.org. And if you go to that website, you can plug in your zip code and find uh, any of the member organizations within a certain mile radius of you. And there's hundreds, if not thousands on there. So it's a great place to start. Okay. Uh, Bob's pulling that up here. We're going to let people know that web address again. It's citygatenetwork.org. And you can find out more about that, uh, what gospel mission might be in your area. I want to go to Liza. Um, she asked the question, she says, do you encounter difficulty in conversations due to mental health issues? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we know for a fact that of the people that come into our program, 66% of them up front disclose a, a sobriety or drug abuse problem and almost half disclose some sort of mental health issue. Now, the thing is, is that we get people that come into our program who will say they have a mental health issue, but the, the bottom line is maybe they need to be uh, med compliant for 30 days or so, and they're enough to be able to come into our program. So we don't turn people away because of that. Now, if it's, if it's, if it manifests itself in extreme ways and we can refer them to the next level of care. But all of that is to say that I think sometimes we're too quick to turn people away. Not, not we, but as just in general, humans respond to people and go, wow, that person might be too crazy for me to talk to. But the, the reality is, is that when you're out on the streets for a while and you're encountering all kinds of things and you're insecure about whether you're going to still have your spot on the street the next day, it, it really has a, a, a tremendously negative effect on people and on their state of mind. So while I would say that it is an issue, I have seen people come in who were, were deemed mentally ill, who after 18 months in our program, you would never even, you never even think that about them. And part of it is just finding stability, finding a place where they can just be and rest for a time. Mm -hmm. And in some cases becoming med compliant. Yes. Good word. And I was going to say the exact same thing. Um, what people don't understand a lot of times is that people need time to become med compliant. And so, you know, like having that time for the medication actually take effect in your system, it doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes it's weeks or months or finding what the right cocktail is. And so what programs like the Orange County Rescue Mission does is it gives them that time. It gives them the time to transition. And that's why I was saying it's a holistic program because it's not just about finding your housing or find, getting your budget in order. It is also about your mental health. It's about your physical health. It's about your spiritual it's all health. Of the, all of it's a things. holistic yeah. thing. And so it's true when you've done drugs or you've been an alcoholic or you've been living on the street, all of those things wear on your mental capacity. Maybe you have bipolar disorder or some other, you know, mental health yeah. issue and you need to be medicated for that. 
what transitional facilities do is they give time. And then not only do they give you time, but they give you time with a professional. So your case manager is someone who can walk you through those steps and check in with you and have the appropriate conversation with you that you wouldn't get if someone just says, oh, hey, I I know you're my nephew. Come live with me. Yeah, that's really good. And I love having both of you here because you're both uh, such veterans in this area. And Monique's been working with the homeless for on and off for a couple of decades. So it's just, well, we don't have to put it like that. Decades. <laughs> it's, it's, decades just seems so long. I know. You know? It's, <laughs> it's great. And just to be able to ask our questions, um, our friend rhyme, his songs says about the discussion group, what a feeling fulfilling outreach. Uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room. I could imagine that to be a perfect place to refresh a, a minister on burnout. Wait, that is a true and prophetic word. I had gone through some really hard ministry times when Brian, uh, uh, actually it's Natasha, Brian's wife reached out to me about helping take over the group. And I had just gone through just a really hard time in my own ministry and was like, I don't know if I want to do any more ministry right now, but it has been an absolute refreshment to go and be with people that are so hungry and to get 20, 30 people out just for a discussion group about faith conversations and hard questions, you would be hard pressed to get that many people out for that, those kind of topics just at a regular local church. Mm-hmm. But these people are, they're genuinely hungry. And I've been blown away by their thoughtful questions just month after month. There's one guy in the group used to be a high school science teacher. You would never know that he was homeless, that he struggled with addiction. The addiction had just ruined his life. He, you know, he, he wasn't teaching anymore. Um, I kind of, I'm not for sure if like his family's even still in the picture anymore, but just probably a guy about my age, you know, and had just completely shipwrecked his life. And it's been so great to have him in the conversation. He doesn't say a lot. He just listens. And then he'll usually come talk to me afterwards about how he's growing in his faith and that it is just the group blesses him. And it's just wonderful to be able to just keep encouraging people. It has been a time of absolute refreshment. Please. I me. sit there and I'm like, Oh Lord, I need to read my Bible. They, they just <laughs> up on me. <laughs> there are things that I do not know. And I am like, Oh, how'd you know that? Yeah. My goodness. So, yes. They ask great questions. And I think, you know, you said it, you said it so well, like, you know, they have questions and are asking questions and discussing things that we don't even discuss in church usually. And I think that speaks so well to the character of the people that are coming to this group. And um, you mentioned like being created in God's image and the needs that our mind have. And so I think that's spot on. Like there are certain needs that we have that we don't even realize that we have. And those deeper conversations are part of that. So we're still getting, we're starting to get a lot of uh, comments on the chat. Um, Brian, uh, Kimba is a frequent viewer, says she wishes she knew about this kind of thing when she was cleaning parking lots. She had quite a few homeless people there. And I think that's just a really good word, Kimba, of, of, you know, you never know where you're going to encounter people. It's good to be prepared, like Brian said, to know the resources in your area uh, so that you can help refer people and give them hope. Um, Our friend Susanna says, if you aren't sleeping well day in and day out on the street, it can cause anyone to have mental health symptoms. They are in fight or flight flight or flight all the time, causing anxiety. I can imagine that that would really wear on people. Um, Let's see. Rhyme His Songs says, regarding dignity in the healthcare field, I once asked I once worked for a provider of Medicaid services and was moved with the doctor that was a believer when I was not yet the way he spoke to them with such honor. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good word. Mm -hmm. And everybody at the rescue mission have been so impressed with, you know, just how they honor one another and, and that it's just part of the culture there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's very cool. Lots of, lots of good, good comments here. Um, Lisa Liza says, wow, real talk. That sometimes doesn't 
happen among church people. Oh, that's well, what we're all about here at All the Things. Yes. Because we think that theology has bearing on every aspect of the life of our lives. We think the Bible has something to say. So tonight we're talking Amen. about how to help the poor. Any final words for us, Brian, any words of encouragement for our, our viewers? Well, I, I, one thing you, you, I kind of have to give a shout out here that you mentioned the, I, I know the person you're talking about uh, that attends your uh, oh. discussion group. And he's one of uh, three students in recent months who completed the apologetic certificate program at Biola. Oh, wow. Biola was gracious enough to donate that opportunity for our students to go through that program. It's such an awesome program and, and really anybody should do it if they, if they can. Um, you can do it from home and uh, on the computer. And so we've had students that have, have completed that and um, as and with Biola donating that opportunity. So that's, that's really cool. Um, as a way of encouragement, you know, thank you for having me on the program. And I think it's always good to just talk about these issues and to talk about them with your family when you're considering those that you know who are in need. They don't have to be the homeless person uh, that you, you drive by every day, but we all know people who are in need or are going to be in need um, in the next few months coming out of this COVID crisis. And, you know, you don't have to, you can give money to people without, without getting the tax deduction. Mm -hmm. If you know some, if you're gainfully employed right now by the grace of God, and you know people that are hurting, you can give them money directly. I feel like so often Christians immediately go, well, where's the tax deductible mm -hmm. uh, entity that I could donate to? But just in the, in the next few months, be praying for opportunities to minister to people directly, because that's where the real ministry happens is when you're directly talking to people and you're directly impacting their lives. And believe me, there's, there's going to be plenty of opportunity to do that in the coming weeks and months. That's a good word. That's really good. Um, but you know, I had a thought about um, just before we wrap up, you mentioned the connection to Biola. And when I go um, down to the mission, I always wonder, I wonder how many organizations they're connected to. How many different places are they connected to? And what people don't realize is that that's your job. Like as the executive director, you're that connector with the, the community and with the schools and things like that. And that's a ton of work day in and day out. And then overseeing staff and overseeing programs and implementing new programs and making sure that, you know, all of this stuff stays afloat. You know, that's, that's a big thing. And then reporting to the board and, you know, all of that. So kudos to you. Thank you for that. Because there are countless lives that are, that are being impacted and have been impacted and will be impacted because of your choice to serve. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian, for being Thanks. on the show. We really appreciate it. And um, I think that what you, the, what you're doing there is just such important work. Again, Brian is with the Orange County Rescue Mission, a very worthwhile group. If you live in the Orange County area, I want to encourage you to maybe volunteer or think about if you have a business or something mm -hmm. of how you can get involved with them or go find a gospel mission in your area, but figure out the resources that you can get connected with and get connected and, and get connected and be talking to your kids about these yeah. things. And it's more than just financial, yeah. like go volunteer. Yeah. You know, if you can't, if you can't do find, that, yeah. yeah, volunteer, serve, give, there's so much need. And even if it's not something that you can do monetarily, yeah. Get out and serve. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Brian. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. God bless. God Bye. bless. Take care. So hard to believe it's been two and a half years since the pandemic. I don't think I ever would have guessed at the time that we filmed this interview that the world would so permanently change. It's really interesting to, to go back in that little time capsule and watch that interview. And we do hope to return the, to the topic of homelessness and kind of do a little update show in the spring. I want to explore some deeper issues on compare and contrast between the gospel mission approach to homelessness and some of the approaches that are put forward by other types of social programs. So that's a conversation to look forward to in the future.
And with that, I really hope you enjoyed this little trip into the All the Things archives. Make sure that you share the show with a friend and we will see you here next week. God bless.